I'm yeah, Amy Michelson. <laughs> Good start. Whoa. Neither of us knew when to start. I'm Lucas Anderton. And this is Go Wonk Yourself. Episode Disaster. <laughs> yes. So a lot's going on right now. And Speaking of disaster. Yes. How about that climate disaster? Uh, how about it? How about that? <laughs> Everyone's talking about it. Was that a good transition? I think that was a good one. Okay. You didn't write that down? That, that transition? Was off the top of your head? It was right off the top of my head. I was born for this. I was born this way, baby. Beautiful. All right. So, yes. So, let's let's just jump into this climate summit led by a... Uh, how old is she? 14? 15? 14. Pretty remarkable. It is. Yes. Do you think so? I do. Okay. I do. That's not where your problem is, isn't it? No, no. I don't... Well, let's give a little context. Yes, yes. There's a girl from Europe somewhere? I believe Sweden. Sweden? But I'm not sure. Um, she's a self-proclaimed environmental activist. And I can't say she was a known entity on this side of the water. Um, no. But she certainly is now. She came here... Massive social media following, by the way. Beforehand? Uh, well, now. Now. I, I don't know how much it's gone up, but as it is right now, she is a massive social media following. Um, so she came here for somewhat of a media campaign, somewhat of an advocacy campaign. Um, she kind of did the whole media tour up and down the East Coast. She spoke at the UN, which I think was kind of the um, keystone yes. of the whole trip. Um... And she was pretty brutal. Um, I was watching a video of her on Twitter tonight, and it was basically saying that we've chosen money every step of the way. Um, every time we are faced with a fork in the road of, you know, put the environment first, put our future first, or put economic gain first, she said, you know, nine times out of ten, you put the money first. Yes. And that's gotten us to where we are now. Um, so do you think she plays a good role in the political theater well i should say first of all i, lo I love the message yeah i uh, now and and i understand the spirit of of like let's look at the next generation who's gonna have to take on this burden uh and i have mixed feelings about putting kids now I'm not sure how old she is. If she's like in the 14 to 16 range, like I'm, I might even have other thoughts. But, but children, putting them at the center of our political discourse and sort of it, having them be our messengers for our side of an argument, I, I have, I have a bit of a problem with that. Don't you think you're discrediting them at all? Um, like, I, I genuinely believe, like, I think about who I was when I was 13, 14, however old she is. Like, I was naive, and I, I was a, I said a lot of stuff that I didn't know a lot about. But I still spoke from the heart, and, like, I think that's what she's doing. She's not out there, like, spouting off facts or, like, propaganda. She's literally just, like, calling us out on her BS. Um, and... She, it's almost like she's got her own agenda. It's not like she's part of someone else's agenda. Like, it isn't 
the Sierra That's Club true. parading her around. Right, right. She's built this, and people around her have built it. Um, so I don't know. But insofar as it's going going to change minds like this, I mean, obviously, like, we can both agree, this is an emotional appeal to uh, of the argument, of of look at, like, the, the children. Well, like, the think facts about the work. children. Exactly. So, so this is a... Yeah, this is an emotional appeal, I would say. It's effective. Yes. We're all well, kind of falling but, in love well, with well, the that, girl. That, That's the question, though. Like, w- will it be effective in the end? Is it going to actually... I think it'll make a dent. Really? But I think it's also too early to call that. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, that's also assuming that, like... Like, I don't believe in this notion that, like, there's, like, s- ever one decision made that, like causes every effect afterwards like everything that happens is an aggregate of a whole lot of decisions um and and like a whole lot of events that happen yeah um so you know like the gun control fight we always think there's going to be like one big thing that tips the scale like Mm -hmm. one shooting and that's just not how we work as a people like Quick reactions can sometimes be the wrong reactions, and I think we, like, understand that. So we've developed these slow-moving systems, and, like, um, but, like, I think that this will push push the issue in the right direction. Um, no, I think you're right. And there is something to be said about just getting a message out there yeah. and turning some heads, because it it's not even about how many heads you end up turning it's about whose heads you're turning like that's the next generation of voters and so that's going to manifest in genuine change so yeah i mean i i can see both sides to that but at the end of the day uh we'll just have to see if this actually turns the right heads i guess yeah yeah because um, i mean are we just uh, is this just going to be confirmation bias like the people who are already on board with the climate crisis are just going to cheer on and everyone else is just going to ignore it or is this going to make people think twice about it yeah it's also early on in her introduction to us so like it's most people probably still don't know who she is like Mm -hmm. the average person um you know she could although she's gaining a lot of yeah, that's true. Traction fast, okay, but I mean, she's this not. This brings there yet. me to the March for Our Lives kids. Yes, a a lot of their traction has faded. David Hogg still has a remarkably large social, social media, media audience, and he's powerful on social media. He he wields the weapon, yields the wep, wields the weapon the same way AOC does. Um, he it, frequently makes appearances on CNN and the like, right? Yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Um everyone said that that was going to tilt the scales and i gotta hand it to them they were fighting a battle that wasn't winnable at the time like every second we don't have gun control means that the political climate was like unbeatable or else we would have beat it and so like obviously like it just wasn't enough um but like do you believe that they there was some gain from from their advocacy uh, again, uh, that that uh, that raw emotional appeal works. Yeah, it does. And there's no getting around that. Uh, is that the way we want to do politics? It's it's always been in politics. It has. Did you see the Sandy Hook video? Uh, not yet. I haven't watched you, it yet. You should really yeah. watch it. 
the whole time I watched it, uh, I was like thinking that I was like, this is a very uh, emotional, yeah. emotion heavy form of rhetoric. Like, um, but that doesn't mean I didn't think that that was something every American needed to see because I do. Nor does it. Nor does it mean it's an invalid point. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these emotions that we have are logically traceable to a injustice that's being done. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, it works. It, not only does it work, but I mean, often it's rooted in what's right. Yeah. But as soon as the emotions steer away from the facts like that's when it becomes an issue i think i mean think about trump's emotional appeals Uh, oftentimes they don't line up with reality and yet they still work with that same efficacy yeah yeah um yeah i'm i'm looking forward to kind of watching what greta does um i hope she sticks around in the spotlight I, i i always think it's good to have more young people speaking up in politics um so so I don't know. Um, I want to talk about Ukraine. Oh, yes. You came into the apartment today jumping around, so happy, yelling impeachment, impeachment. I had never seen anything like it. I'm excited. Can you explain what so, your excitement is about? Um, we're talking about Ukraine, and it's not because there's another country invading it this time. Uh, Ukraine, the Ukrainian president and Trump had a phone call i think it was a while back um but there was recently a whistleblower that came forward and basically said that the in the call president trump asked the ukrainian leader to investigate or to to turn over information on his biggest political opponent joe biden um trump has and giuliani have all but admitted to what happened i don't know why and then, like, Trump spoke to the media, I think it was early this morning or yesterday, and he just, like, he sounded, there were no coherent thoughts in the sentence. Uh, I feel so bad for his lawyers. Um, does he still have lawyers? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and so the Ukrainian stuff has been in the news a couple days now. And then I was on Twitter, and um, I saw that my congresswoman was going on Rachel Maddow tonight. And I figured, okay, maybe just slow news week and, like, Rachel needed to fill in some time. Sorry, Elaine. <laughs> but, like, yeah. you know? And and then my mom texted me, and she was like, you need to read this op-ed. That's what Elaine is probably going on to talk about tonight. Elaine was one of seven freshman Democrats. I think all or almost all were elected in Trump 2016 uh, districts. So, like, they generally toe the middle pretty much. I mean, they're pretty centrist uh, legislators. And they basically said that the Ukrainian issue is an impeachable offense and one that is so clear and easy to understand and heinous that if we don't act on this one, there w- then what is the process for? Like, they were saying, like, this is what the process was defined for. Um, that's a big deal. I mean, these people were getting tons of pressure to impeach, tons of pressure to impeach, and they would not cave. This made them cave. And it made them all cave together, and they're doing it very loudly. Um, so I can't help but think that because of how easy this issue is to understand, it's so simple in comparison to Mueller, all of that stuff. You know what 
Democrats' new strategy should be. What? This is all they have to do. This is the secret to winning the game for the Democrats, all right? When they're about to do something, think, what would the Republicans do in this situation? And then do that. Boom. They'd That's impeach. It. Exactly. <laughs> they, they would, they and would, they'd be loud they would and proud be, about it. They would be ballsy enough to just jump into impeachment, no questions asked, and they'd all be on board with it. And they'd be on the... That's the thing, is if you're going to do it, you know, they don't have the votes to convict. Mm -hmm. So, the only option is to take advantage of the impeachment itself, which is only a vote to indict. And that means being loud and proud. You can't hide from it. Like, I think that they were going to, like, tiptoe into it. No. Like, if you're going to do it, then jump off the boat, you know? And, um, And they need to make it just a parade tear apart trump at every angle every every nightly news show just be on there talking about the impeachment proceedings of the day but will that happen i mean can you get enough democrats high profile democrats on board with this plan and even maybe some presidential candidates to support the plan every single one of them is supporting it they all sent emails today that's that imp- you know, impeach, impeach. impeach Donald well, I mean, Trump. it's e- it's easier for them to say because you know they get they get to have fun, but for the people who have constituencies to answer to, what are they going to say? If my congresswoman can do it, anyone can. Any Democrat. She is in a moderate district. Most of them are not. Um, you know, there's very few competitive. I think there's only a hundred and something what like a lot of the rating or like analysts will consider competitive seats like most Mm -hmm. seats are safe seats um and especially those people just need to be loud and proud about it um and i i saw a headline tonight that pelosi was basically ready to to take a head count in the caucus really yeah interesting um and you know it was a call to action to call your congressperson and make sure that if that were to happen they're gonna vote you think in the in that situation she would probably be the most prudent about it yes she would instantly take on a whole new form um because she has to so would Steny hoyer so would all of them the only leadership member of leadership who's been super vocal about is nadler and and it's because it's in his committee so he's taking on the position that pelosi would have to yeah um if you are if you aren't confident about it and you're leading the charge then then no one else who's is supposed to be confident about it, about it? Well, that'll be an interesting thing to follow going forward and seeing if this catches the traction that it needs to in order to manifest. I hate when news hits at night because we should yeah. feel like wait until the average person sees the news in the morning. Right, right. To like decide if it's like actual news or not. Yeah. So funny. Um, and today, just after all of this hit, it was a good day for it to hit because it got worse for Trump. Uh, he told his acting chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, to hold back almost $400 million in military aid for Ukraine at least a week before the phone call in which Trump is said to have pressured the Ukrainian president to investigate the Biden family. Um, that's not looking good for him. Well, that's the call for impeachment. Like, that's what it's about. Yeah. Uh, so. Well, no, they didn't need the quid pro quo. They're, they did not need a quid pro quo. Like, they did not need any exchange from one side to the other. Like, just Trump asking for them to investigate is what many would consider an impeachable offense. 
Well, yes, but wasn't there the added component of he was going to withhold our, um, arms or something? That that was the part that only came out, I think, so, today. Oh, so that was a separate piece of information. Yes. I thought this all came no, out No, the first well. thing was just that he made the call. Oh, okay. And then today, there's now evidence that he told so was his it staff, this there is a quid pro quo now. Yeah. That they don't get their funding unless he does. Got it. Um, that's wow. crazy stuff. And like I, I, you know, we were talking about this before the podcast. Every day, Democrats say like, "This is the turning point." Yeah. It's and true. every time we say, "Oh, this one's different than the last." Well, I mean, you might be right that if they can't impeach on this, they can't impeach. Period. Yeah. Um. Obviously, there. You could imagine some kind of extreme scenario in which it would just be intolerable for anyone not to impeach, but. Aside from that, if we can rule that out as a possibility, uh, then you'd have to imagine that in this type of situation, if you can't rally the troops, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. So that'll just have, I mean, it'll, we'll just have to see. What do you think it would be like? Will it be a firestorm? Oh my God. I don't think it, I think it's probably, it could be unlike anything we've seen. In terms of how yeah. our, I mean, our divides right now politically within this country are just simmering. And this would be the last straw. Yeah. Now, I'm not I'm not saying, like, we're going to break out into civil war. Or anything, but, I mean, it, it could get ugly. Yeah. People are going to get down and dirty. The bumper stickers are going to come out. The, <laughs> oh, the bumper stickers. The Rashida Talab's going to be insane and peach the mother oh, trucker man. way more than she has been. <laughs> Yeah, so, it, but it doesn't mean it's undoable. But what what price will the Democrats pl- pay, potentially, for impeaching? Could it be they another... They have a bad hand right now. Like, they might as well go all in. You I think, don't think so? I'm not very good at going into references. A, going into but... a presidential election? Um... Yes, because they are severely handicapped by the fact that they're probably not going to win the Senate, which just means downhill from there. Um, when we get a Democrat in, the apathy comes back. I, I believe that. Mm. We get, the excitement can only last so long, the enthusiasm that yeah. we've seen post-Trump. Um, you know, those people going be, go back to not, they'll tweet, they'll share on Facebook, but they're not going to show up and, yeah. and work hard for the for Democrats. Um and so if we don't win the Senate, then we have a weak president, inevitably. And we'll hold the House in 2020 pretty much inevitably. But then I think it's only losses from there. I think, like, I don't know if it's off my head. You have th- a pretty grim future for the Democratic Party. Politics is so cyclical in in terms of control of the branches. And... It takes the stars aligning. Like, it has to be the right year for you in the House, the Senate, and the White House. And it's just not a common thing. Um, you know, Republicans had it. They, 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 that, their 2010 sweep, and then 2012. Like, I, I think they gained seats in the House in 2012, even though Obama took, got reelected. Like, they had gains well, in, all in around, In 2016, when Trump was elected, we had the House and Senate. Mm-hmm. That was... Why didn't more get done? <laughs> I, well, it, it was completely squandered. That was, I mean, they just couldn't, 
they couldn't handle the fact. I mean, now if if any of the other Republicans had won, I think you would see some pretty remarkable changes and legislation that would have come out of that period of time in which I mean, assuming they won, which is a different discussion, but I think you would have seen a lot of like imagine if Mike Pence was president during that period of time. Is it a testament to how good the system still is? How much control it takes to actually just ram your agenda through? Yes. They, yeah, it's, I would say they had a majority on the Supreme Court. They had a majority in every other body. And they could still only get so much done. Even with a president who was willing to push his agenda just, no matter just what. Just say an abomination of a tax bill. Um, Bad attempts on health care that ended up being... But the, yeah, the, those were wasted too that that opportunity i mean they they couldn't they got very little done uh given the circumstances you would expect a more unified party in that situation but it doesn't seem like they really seized on it yeah they turned obamacare into a popular thing isn't that crazy yep democrats tried so hard and they couldn't do it. And, and now we love talking about healthcare. It is the top polling issue every time, you know, and, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, getting back to what we were talking about, like the, the odds are not in our favor with, for, for Democrats, like we're going to get back to normalcy. I believe that, but we're not going to have some progress. It's no, wait. The odds are against us having some progressive era. They really are. Um, for Elizabeth Warren to be the figure that I genuinely believe she has the potential to be, she needs a Senate. She needs it in 2020. Otherwise, she's just going to be, I don't know, a bad case study. Oof. Is that bad? A bad case study. I, I mean in terms of like per, the Democratic yeah. Party moving towards progressivism. Yeah. Like this oh, proud, wow. like f- out there progressivism. Like it'll be like, well, we tried that. <laughs> Back to Joe Biden. Man. But that just, I mean, this current movement of progressivism through the Democratic Party. When looked through the lens of just when you're looking at the Democratic Party, it looks like a big deal. But I guess when you when you think of it in terms of the the tides of of just the current political climate and where we are in terms of who's holding what seats does it really matter in the end yeah could it be that we'll just have this period of sort of tug of war where nothing really happens but you see this sort of incremental change of you know voting blocks and representatives until you 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 one day get some kind of majority and and the right just the right i mean you could say that that's what obama did obama will go down history for a lot of things but in terms of impact he is not in the heights but of... no but in terms of having the opportunity okay. to have done yes that, yeah in the same way that trump had the control mm-hmm. like that that's that alignment but then you have to also have an extraordinary president to be able to even with that majority because once they once the majority happens 
everyone gets ideological and then all the party splits happen and th that's when rallying is the most key it's not when you're campaigning yeah. and you know, i mean forget that once you're in office how are you going to get everyone to agree that this is how what... are you going to keep your coalition together exactly um we don't have a coalition government but within our two major parties there's plenty of coalitions mm -hmm. and I, I think that that's why we only have so many folks like FDR in history is the stars have to align pretty perfectly for you to have like a such an agenda and such an impact that like you we we view your legacy as changing the course of history every president changes the course of history do you think that can only really arise in the wake of a true crisis though almost always so we we need a crisis no <laughs> but but it doesn't always happen from a crisis bush is like the country loved him for a little while because of uh the leadership he provided from 9-11 it didn't last mm -mm. um and maybe that'll change over time like maybe we'll view him as like a better president but like i think fdr left office pretty popular when he died um i i'm sorry i keep bringing it back to fdr but like if i were to think like to like one of the strongest largest agendas promises made promises kept is a guy like fdr he had a long time to do it yeah but well that that's really an example of just legislation coming out that's that's trying to change and get out of a crisis i mean uh, a lot of the other presidents that we look back on and think of as the greats just kind of uh, they prevented held our hands through the through the thunderstorm just, just crazy situations and, and, a, and a lot of the time it's just like we avoided catastrophe so yeah. do you not place enough like weight on the individual to say like Lincoln Lincoln did that? Do you know what I mean? Well, I mean obviously obviously he's the figurehead of a important moment of history in which many people did many things that you know, some people did some things. <laughs> but uh but but yeah, I mean he was a competent politician. And he knew how to play his cards right. And yeah, you could say that his his strategy and his way of doing politics was at the right place at the right time. The stars aligned. The stars aligned. Will the stars align for the next Democrat? Like that's a serious question to ask. But what 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 would you like to see? Okay, in a in a stars aligned situation, what comes out of that? I can't I can't predict that. Really. No. But you you don't want to say something like universal health care? Uh, I don't want to label it to a policy because, like, policies yeah. make a huge difference in, in people's lives. But, like, big structural change, as Elizabeth Warren says. Is that what she says? What big structural change are you I don't know, for? Eddie. Like, I, I, I genuinely don't know. But, like, I trust her. I, I trust her to do it. Apparently, the American people trust her to do it. Um, she passed Biden in a Des Moines Register poll. Like that's wild. This is earlier on than I think we all thought it would be. So Biden's tapering off, Warren's gaining steam. We're seeing this sort of again. We we keep talking about the progressive 
wing of the Democratic Party surging in popularity. But is this really going to bring in a progressive era? And, and from what you're saying, it, it's not. Every major candidate running besides Biden is running as a progressive. Joe Biden's saying he's running it, but I mean like their platform yeah. reflects progressivism. Elizabeth Warren, with Bernie Sanders in the race, just found a way to pass the former vice president of the United States, the only loud, proud centrist up there. Um, Eddie, that's freaking insane. Like, how did she do it? There are so many candidates running on a very similar brand as her. They might not speak it as well. They might not believe, like, they might not be such outspoken, like, structuralists. Is that the word for it? But, like, they're running on a similar plan. And and she found a way to pass the former vice president of the United States, who everyone all but said had it in the bag from the beginning. She still has hurdle after hurdle to get over. But holy shit. But are Democrats asking for too much? <laughs> yeah. Are we overplaying our hand? That's a serious question to ask because here's the thing. It could really pay off. This could be a, a big movement. I mean, the following that Bernie Sanders accrued in 2016 is no joke. And this could be that wing getting behind Elizabeth Warren. But... Again, are, is this what, are, are we willing to put all of our eggs in the progressive basket knowing what you're up against? Um, if we elect, getting back to the Senate, if we elect Elizabeth Warren or any of them running on that similar message and they don't have a Senate, then it will give Republicans two years to tear that agenda apart and do exactly what we did in 2018 and then what was it all for they'll yeah. probably get someone in the next presidential like I, I i'm not a political analyst and like i don't have like the specific races in front of me but like that's generally the way it goes um so i don't know it makes me kind of cynical about it but what if Republican obstructionism, now we're thinking, now we're going deep, deep future, Republican, um, yeah, uh, their, their disruption backfires on them, and Warren is granted a Senate and a House. I guess it's possible. It's I think, possible. I think 2022 was... I saw on Twitter somewhere like the Senate races that would be up in 2022 yeah. and like I think it was in the Democrats favor. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, that could be possible. She'd have 2 years to push a big agenda though and then But if anyone could do it, I think it's her. But Biden knows the system. Biden knows how to cut deals. I'm a deals guy. <laughs> Here's the deal. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, Joe. Oh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about him anymore. Yeah, there's nothing left to we're say. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to... sad. It's like we spend the next 15 minutes with every other white male podcaster on Earth talking about the Biden gaffe again. 
That's so funny. He had he had a couple of really bad weeks though, where it was just like every day was something oh, else he said. Another day, another gaff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about someone else. I was sitting in class tonight. There were multiple Andrew Yang stickers on people's yeah. laptops. I know we live in an echo chamber. I mean, but. I remember the first time we talked about Andrew Yang. And at the time, he was not on anyone's radar. I mean, he, he was, was a, a meme. He was on Yeah, he was a meme, and he was on very few, few people's <laughs> radar in terms of uh, looking at him as a, anything serious. Now, things have sort of changed for him. He's accrued... A much bigger following on Twitter, no, nowhere near where you know Kamala Harris and Cor, um, Cory Booker and they've been at this game for a little while though. Yes, uh, but just for for a guy who is just starting his life in politics, he's he's doing something, and it's it's reflecting in in certain polls too. I think on previous podcasts that I've said that. Um... He was in it to advance his message, kind of like Jay Inslee. And I I don't think he's not in it for that anymore, but do you think that, that like, he wants to be the president of the United States? And, and a follow-up to that, do you think he sees a path to that? Most people are probably going to laugh and say, of course not. I think he does. I think he believes that we live in a time in which it i mean if there was ever a time when this could happen crazier things have happened <laughs> yes then it's now so yeah and, and from his perspective i mean he probably when going into this originally he probably thought that he would be nowhere near where he is now and to have to look back and see how fast things have grown for him i think it would be hard not to think I have a shot at actually doing this. Um, we had a point where we were both like absolutely enamored, and I still am. Uh, we had a pretty higher thinking of him back then, in the sense of like almost that he had like figured out the system, and like he found out the exact formula to win this thing. I'm sad that I'm admitting that on a podcast, <laughs> but like, do you think? We're discrediting him by saying, like, he believes that there might be a path forward with for him. Don't you think <laughs> there's still a chance that he just knows exactly what he's doing? <laughs> you know, it's still early. Yeah. It's still early. We so, can't answer that question until it's over. <laughs> yeah, so if he has some grandmaster plan, it probably hasn't unfolded yet. But That's working so whatever far. Whatever he's doing now, it seems to be working pretty well for someone who, like I said, I mean, he didn't have... You could say, like, Trump never had any experience in uh, politics, but he sure as hell had experience in name recognition. So that was no problem. Yang did not have that. He's just, he's an entrepreneur, but no one knew who this guy was when he was first coming into the public eye. And now you're seeing Andrew Yang stickers in, in class. That's pretty remarkable. And on I-95, I see him on the highway all the time. Yeah. And I get up next to him, and they're not college kids who sit on Twitter like us. Because that is where his biggest chunk of support has been. But it's like, it's getting to the point where it's creeping beyond that just a little bit. But it is. 
and and that was one of his biggest hurdles was get outside of 4chan and Twitter yeah. and being a meme and being considered a candidate. Um, all the mainstream media has literally left him out. Like, when they show polls, they just skip right over him. It's wild how they've completely ignored this phenomenon. But, but on the flip side, he is making fantastic use of alternate media. He's going on every podcast you can think of. I mean, and he's just... He, this whole sort of underground, silent majority of people who use alternate media like podcasts if you're listening now then that's what you're doing are people listening now i hope not (laughs) but i mean that's and he's really capitalized on that and sure he may have alienated the mainstream media through that but it could it could prove to work in his favor we'll just have to see but it is a lot of young people that is a concern credit to joe rogan if I had to, like, narrow one thing, like, to narrow down to, like, one big thing that, like, had a major effect on his campaign, it was Joe Rogan. That was a big moment for him. That's where I think the average person who's, like, a fan of Yang refers other people to check him he out. He was also on the H3, H3H3 podcast. I don't know what that is. That was a, that was big. Um, was he on Breakfast Club? Yes. Yeah. I think. I think he was. I would love to have a conversation about alternate media, though, because yeah. it scares me how... Should we get into this right now? Sure, it's scar- it's I, Maybe we'll come back to Yang, maybe circle back, yeah, but I still yeah. have some thoughts. It scares me how decentralized the media is becoming, because it leaves room... I almost want to call them, like, kinks. Not, like, that kind of kink, but, like... Yeah, just obscure <laughs> areas of... People are finding other people who, like, pursue the same weird passions and hobbies and interests as them, and it scares the hell out of me. And there's just, like, all these deep, dark communities that, like, you can never know about them all. There's no way to. No. And I hear about these new platforms all the time. And I don't understand how people keep up with it. Like, it makes me realize how many people are actually on this planet. Well, yeah, that, that's the that's what it comes down to. There's just a lot of people. Uh-huh. It's not that anyone's keeping track of all of it. It's just that there's a lot of people that keep track of different things. But... No, you're you're absolutely right, and and, and it is becoming decentralized. It, I mean, cable TV. I mean, it's it's fading away fast. No, not amongst old people, but our generation for sure. Like, I I don't know anyone who's who's turning on NBC to watch what's on on a Thursday night or whatever. They're on Netflix binge watching something or on Hulu or what or any streaming service that's that's where we are right now and the same thing translates to how we get our news we we want long-form conversations with people that's how we get our information we would rather instead of a 30-second soundbite about a politician's latest statement on climate change or whatever gun control we would rather have them sit down on a podcast and talk to someone for an hour two hours and that keeps people's attention. And I think that's the biggest problem. The mainstream media has underestimated the average person's attention span and how much they care about these topics. Well, and they think that we don't get tired of it. Like, they were the only option, so they could get away with a lot of things for a while. But 
podcasters, YouTubers, all these people are finding everything we hate about the mainstream media, uh, Fox, MSNBC, and they're fixing it. Yeah. And not just the news. I mean, entertainment, media, everything. Like, they are finding what we don't like about it. And with a webcam or a Yeti microphone like we have in front of us, like, they are just, like, catering to it. Netflix is a really good example. Netflix is using both predictive and prescriptive analytics to decide what content we want. But, like, they're they're figuring out what we like better than we are. And the TV channels can't keep up. Like... They, they are perfectly catering to, like, the new shows, the Netflix content they're creating to what they know we need. Um, and, and we've talked off the podcast before about how, one by one, all these companies are dropping Netflix. And do you think Netflix gives a single damn anymore? No. Because I don't. They've made every right move. Like, look, okay, you can say they're losing money. But just from a business standpoint, in terms of getting getting in on these trends, not even getting in on creating these trends, getting in before anyone even knows what's happening, every step of the way, since they were a a mail mail DVD delivery service, evolving that into streaming and then making originals, every step of the way, I, it, it appears to me like they've made the right decisions and they've set the precedent for what what the what this age looks like with television and, and movies. But the problem is 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 it a sustainable model in the end? The best way to simplify the Netflix business model is Eddie, you're Disney. I'm gonna take your content. I'm gonna profit off of it. Take your customers, and then I'm going to take what you did, do it better, and then cut you out of the business deal. Or you're going to cut me out, but I don't even care anymore because I've already stolen your audience. And that's why I think it's okay that Netflix is losing money because they're making a calculated risk that they've already got our loyalty yeah. for the in- indefinite future. They sure as hell future. have mine. <laughs> they do. I mean, it's what I come home and you're doing it. You come home and I'm doing it. Yeah. Like, it has become such a huge part of our lives. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that their decisions are... They're, I mean, they're not doing it for profit now. They're doing it... They're looking to the future. That's what they've always done. I mean, since the very... Like I said, the very beginning, they were looking at what the next step looks like. And, no, I, I, I totally agree. It's... But but the uh, another I mean, it's funny you bring up Disney because they're they're launching their own streaming service that's going to have all the Disney content now. So now we're gonna, now we're seeing these companies sort of backlash and creating their own streaming services. But like you said, Netflix has already taken their audience. Those people are already subscribed now. I already watched that Disney show <laughs> on Netflix. I don't need to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that's it's pretty remarkable. But we'll just have to see how also that evolves. Because, like you said, things are getting pretty fragmented now. Every little interest, there's a little nook on the internet for you, or 
big nook sometimes but <laughs> while netflix is beating out big media is youtube or youtubers beating out netflix at the same time not just youtubers but like other content creators that's like yeah that's even more alternate media i mean yeah. these people who just live their lives on camera and just have a channel and people watch them just live that's remarkable i mean that to me is crazy i see it in presidential endorsements so often um these candidates will brag about these endorsements they've gotten and i go to the page and the person has like a gazillion followers and i've never heard of them before yeah. and i'm just like it like their bio will just say like lawyer from san francisco yeah i had that professor uh i can't even remember his name but he the econ professor daniel lynn yes he, huge twitter following yeah he's an economics professor at american university mm -hmm. teaches a 100 level class like there's such a market for for these niche audiences and you just have to come up with the perfect equation but like i think it's just being like your authentic self like if you go on there and you publish videos of something like you're passionate about chances are there's someone else who is they just have to find you yeah it's true I mean, no one's alone anymore. That's for sure. We're done being alone. You're always with someone on your phone. You're always a part of some group somewhere. It's, yeah, it's it's a whole new way that we're living. It's crazy. Do you think that we've realized the amount of change we've seen over the past 10 years? Like, do you think that we can think clearly enough to understand how much human life has changed since, like, social media, we have machine no learning... We just take it for granted now. I mean, I think of how often you just see people who are just standing around, just scrolling. Like, what were you doing 10 years ago? Not that. You weren't staring down at your phone every second of every day. But, like, it's just our new norm. And that's how, that's how things move along. Like, there's going to be some new technological advancement that if we were to look to the future 10 years ahead now, we might be amazed. But... In 10 years, we won't be so amazed because we'll, it'll just be a part of our lives. Do we ever get to a point in which we can process what's going on? Or are we moving at such a fast rate that it'll just keep going? Like, I, I saw this figure that was like 90% of data that exists was created in the past two years. Because, like, it's just increasing so exponentially and in our intelligence is our technological advancement is what we're accomplishing with with artificial intelligence with with everything these devices we have in our hands with automation. social media with automation with with like big data it's happening at such a fast rate and like it's it's getting faster and faster all the time it's hard to quantify these things and it's hard to even analyze them because like i don't know what tomorrow holds like I could I could sound so stupid a week from now. Yeah. And and I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean the, it is moving really quickly, but at the same time we're just living our lives every day. We're not we're not standing around like just in disbelief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in dis like it on a day-to-day -day basis it doesn't feel like things are happening at all. It doesn't feel like things are moving fast. But I mean when you think in terms of months, you know, years, days, and then you look back, you're like, wow, a lot has happened. A lot has changed. I mean, think about the election. We can bring it back to Yang. 
Think about where he was. Yeah. And now think of him now. We couldn't. Was that imagined. on the podcast that we were talking about how long ago it feels, but at the same time, like, it hasn't been that long? Yeah. Like, so much has happened in the presidential primary since then. Pete Buttigieg had his five minutes of fame. I'll hand it to him. Like, he's he's still, like, growing as a candidate, and his campaign's still getting bigger. And like, But, like, he was on the up and up. But, like, so many little things like that have happened. We still have Beto. so far to go. What? Beto. Beto. I'm sorry. Beto. Oh, my God. Beto. So unwoke. I'm just kidding. Uh, he had, do you remember when he was popular? He, do you remember and, when people wanted him to run for president? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, ever since he's announced, he's never had his, like, El Paso was yeah, the closest thing Yeah, but that, that actually home. happened. I can't even we believe it. We were begging for it. We were begging for it. I think there were more draft Beto people than draft Biden people back in 2016. And that was a pretty big movement. The Democrat, the Democrats just love sucking. We love, I'm not going to hate on Beto like that, but we suck at knowing what we need. If I'm being totally dead serious. What do we need? I, I don't know. I don't know. Elizabeth Warren, Yang. We need someone who is an idealist. Like, I believe in... I. It's been such a... We're wandering How? Off, How can you? We're wandering off the beaten path here. We really are. But, like, Eddie, we have gone through such tumultuous past three... Is it three years? Three years. I, I want to be proud again. Is that really cliche to say? Like, no, I don't think it's cliche. I I understand what you're saying. You want to feel like you live in a country that you believe in. Mm-hmm. And right now, I mean, I think even the most ideological people who are just so enamored by Trump or who are so against Trump, like, so I mean, like, is anyone really? in a unified way, like proud of where we are right now? That's the million dollar question. Um, it, it almost seems naive to believe that there could be that many people willing to spout off things that they don't believe for their agenda. So I have to, for the sake of like believing in humanity, I have to believe that those people's brain just like, Uh, is wired just a little bit different to mine like to where they actually believe in this man for some reason because even but but the reason why they believe in him is because they believe things are so bad right now but i i cannot let myself believe that these people actually believe in the chaos he's causing like that they think that this is progress do they like but but they they believe that they're it's not even about the progress that's being made it's that the worldview that Trump has espoused is this is an emer- we live in an emergency and things are crumbling and only I can fix it. So what's required to adopt that worldview is a very cynical position about where we are now. So you can't really say you're proud of the cur- the country in its current <coughs> form. You can say like I want it to be ready, great again, but I mean, that, that has the implication that it's not great. And so, I mean, I go back to my question. And obviously, I mean, you don't even have to ask about the Democrats, how they feel about 
where we are right now. Are you proud of your country? If you were to poll Democrats right now, they would say, no. they would say no. no. So, I mean, is anyone, is anyone right now really happy? What I'm do sh- they, what, <laughs> what do they hope for? Like, uh, what are, I can tell you easily what Democrats believe in. They believe in every person having health care. They believe in the right people being in prison. They believe in, <coughs> excuse me. They believe in everyone having access to education. And where we're nuanced is is the policy is like, when you say universal, does that mean force everyone to be on the same one? Does that mean give them other options? But like, we all believe in these same principles. What are those principles in the conservative part, like Republican Party today? Like, what is their utopia? Because to me, it sounds like a dystopia. It's divided. And there's one wing that wants true conservatism in which they want the government to have less of an impact on people's lives they want to lift regulations and you know freely destroy the planet uh that sort of thing and then you have the populist wing which is somewhat new uh, in this era that they're very protectionist they have distrust in the establishment but they still want the government to step in and undo what they believe has been injustices that are being inflicted on them and a lot of that as we've talked about many times is the result of economic factors such as automation so um are they ideological at all or is it purely reactionary because Sorry, I have an awful cold. Every time that I think that, like, they're shooting for something, like, I can't help but, like, there's it never seems like there's an ideological agenda behind anything they do anymore. Right. It just seems like whatever the Democrats want, we have to want the opposite. The Democrats don't want you to cage children. Let's keep caging them. Like, before Trump, before we were caging kids, were there people lobbying their congresspeople to start caging more kids? No. And I gotta admit, before Trump, like, there was some worries about our border, but the wall was purely Trump. And I know that his entire platform was built reactionary, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean the people who follow him are, by default, also reactionary. Do they have an ideology, or have they just been taught to hate Democrats and hate what I believe is progress? There are some people who I would say are ideological who are who could be safely placed into the Trump wing and some of them are not even happy with Trump and how his presidency has gone over and Coulter huge yeah. oh, huge yeah. Trump supporter uh, really embodied the the spirit certainly of the Trump campaign and it's and, and you could you could say that she actually has the Trumpian ideology Trump himself doesn't, but she does. And that's why she's so unhappy with him, because it turns out that he's the reactionary and she's the real... Uh, Ideologue. Ide- exactly. And so, I mean, you can see that with it, with some other uh, figures that have aligned with Trump. and I mean, some, some still do, but I think for the most part, those people wouldn't be terribly happy with him right now. Because you're right. The wall was a cornerstone 
of that ideology just a distrust of um well on the on the farthest end it would be a distrust of immigration in general but at the very least it's a belief in strong borders and a stop of illegal immigration so i mean no matter how you slice it and dice it immigration was at the forefront of that ideology and then you also had trade that was another big one i mean that's just fundamental to how to trump's support and just economic protectionism blaming the automation on immigrants this like that if if trump's <coughs> if trump's ideas can be summed up to in in the shortest terms that would be it okay i have two things to say and we're we're really getting into unwoke hours here because for one oh god i think you're giving trump supporters too much credit there are people who believed in that stuff but those were the ideologues who followed him and then realized holy shit some of them are still behind him but like a majority of that 37 percent they don't know about that stuff i they are oh boy they are like they are the most uneducated americans if you were to like like as a like, he has the highest support of uneducated Americans in that 37%, right? So, they don't care about trade agreements. They don't care about protectionism. You, but you're giving the rest of the American public too much credit because it's not just the uneducated people who voted for him in droves. It's the wealthy white males also voted in droves for him. Middle class white males voted for him. I mean, all, all across econ the economic spectrum... While I believe that economic factors defined his base, I think overall the the his message in in many ways transcended that the the socioeconomic scale. But I'm talking about out of that thirty seven percent that'll stick yeah. by him no matter what. Mm -hmm. A oh, huge so, chunk oh, well, of the, them the base, yes. A huge chunk of them are rednecks. I mean they are or the you know the some other equivalent and i i know that's bad to like it's like the deplorable comment which like is not that kind of rhetoric isn't productive but like um though it just pisses me off that like he's just their president and and they keep him afloat these people who just like they just believe in Trump. They don't believe in any of the agenda. They don't but, believe but in Republican. Is, but what was Trump able to tap into there? Oh, I have no idea. That that that's legitimate because it's not like I mean, just because you're uneducated doesn't mean you don't have problems in your life and <laughs> and issues you'd like to see addressed politically. You still have you yeah. you still have demands from your president. So. Yeah. I think what Democrats would be good to do is is to instead of just writing you know, them pointing off. the finger at at these people and be and saying like you guys are dumb, like see what they want. Like <laughs> I know it sounds so condescending no, right now. I totally but, get it though. But I mean, let, let's find out what these people want, what their qualms are, and how we can fix it. That's what the concern should be. And I think, uh, I mean, I think a lot of Democrats get that. And they want to see a strategic approach to finding these people's support. 
in a way that's productive. But I just, what's not productive is, is to pretend that they're not there because yeah. that's what got Trump in the first place. I totally agree with you. Um, I, I don't think most of them, I don't think there's a way to ever convince them. I do agree that we should still be talking to them and we should still be learning from them. But um, they they were never convinced to be Republicans. They were just Republicans, you know, and they will die Republicans. The other thing I was going to say is that the people, and I, I do want to wrap up because we've been going for about an hour. Um, <laughs> the people who really scare me are the people who at some point during the presidency <coughs> who dropped off. Because that means that there was something worse. Like, they weren't just into the greater message. They weren't into the greater change. Like, they were just holding on, like, <coughs> for a while. And something finally convinced them to drop. But that means that everything before that, they, like, thought rationally about and made a decision that it wasn't worth dropping him then. Does that make any sense? I, I, I see what you're saying. It's like... That was the final straw. Yeah, and like, some of the of times, like, I see people like these Republicans on Twitter say, like, like, that's it, I'm done. It's like, where were you? Um, there were kids in cages a couple weeks ago. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, no, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean, we, this can be a good stopping off point, but uh, the, Trump, the Trump base, those people, they're not going anywhere. They're here to stay, and, and you could say that it's... It could even get worse as these, as automation speeds up, as these economic problems come to fruition even more. So I think the Democrats really just need to adopt a strategy to, to find them. Can I say one last thing? Yes. You're on to something here because it's almost, it goes back to like Michelle Obama, like when they go low, we go high. And another saying on top of that is... Even when they don't love us, we're going to do what's best for them. Um, Kentucky hates Democrats. You know who benefits from the ACA more than anyone else? Kentucky. And I think that's almost what we have to go with is we might not ever win over that 37%, but we're going to do our damn hard, like we're going to work as hard as we can to try and make their lives better because we believe it's our job, even if they don't love us. Um... Because those are the people that nine times out of ten democratic policies help the most. Um, you know, uneducated, low-income Americans. Those are the people that our party is trying to lift up. We believe in moving those people to the middle class. They might not like it along the way, but we're going to keep trying. And, and I mean, that's why I'm a Democrat. I, I believe in that. So, I don't know. All right, well, <laughs> go walk yourself. That was fantastic. You know, we should do this again. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pin, same time next week. I'll pin something in on my calendar next All week right, for you. All right, sounds good. All right, Eddie, this has been a fantastic episode, and uh, go walk yourself. Go walk yourself. <laughs> <laughs>